0: Well, South Africa has one of the um, most stringent application processes for getting a firearm, and um, I have some strong opinions about that, but I'll keep those to myself, but I'll tell you what it involves. A police interviews you and your spouse and two friends before you are allowed to apply. Uh, They come to your house and inspect your home to see your gun safe that has to be fastened to two separate surfaces. Um, After you've had the safety inspection, they then examine your knowledge of gun laws. You have to take a test proving that you know about gun laws. You have to go to a shooting range and prove that you can shoot a target with a certain grouping. This is all before you own a gun, by the way, so I don't know how you're supposed to get good at it, but anyway. Um, And then comes the hardest part. The hardest part is that you have to write a justification for why you need a firearm. And they can deny it, and they deny about 90% of the applications. So it's a, it's a very difficult thing to get. And you can't just say, well, I want one. And so I was in a gun store once, and I was listening. I was you know, overhearing a conversation between the, the clerk in the gun store and a customer. And the clerk was telling him, OK, well, your next step now is that you have to write the justification. So I'm going to help you do that. You know, this is part of the service that you get if you buy your gun from this particular gun store. And so uh, he said to the guy, so tell me, why do you want a firearm? And he said, so that I can shoot people that come on my property. (laughs) He said, okay, well, you can't say that. (laughs) If you say that you want a gun so you can shoot people, the police are gonna say no. You have to use the words self-defense. You have to use, uh, you have to prove that you need it for self-defense. For example, you have to cite crime statistics in your area, violent crime statistics. You have to um, list the distance that you live from a police station and have timed police responses um, to how long it takes them to get to you. Um, you can tell them that you handle a lot of cash for your job or that you travel long distances. And anyway, this went on and on and on, where he was telling the guy, these are the phrases we need to use. We need to build a case for you. It has to have all of these elements in where you're going to have to go and get all these statistics. And This guy thought he was just going to be like, I'm just trying to buy a gun. If they want me to tell him why, it's because I want to shoot people who come to my property. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to get it for you. And I couldn't help but think of the analogy of the way sometimes Christians pray. Sometimes Christians just pray willy-nilly. You know, they're just sort of like, well, I'm just going to tell God what I want and he must give it to me. Why is he not giving it to me? Where, Where is God? Is God even real? He's not giving me what I want. And it's like, well, maybe what you want is not the right thing. Maybe you're asking for something so you can shoot people. Whereas rather, you should be building a case. You know, you should think through what it is that you want and how you to present that to God in a way that he's going to answer. And so you might need coaching, like this gun store clerk was coaching this man. And this is what we're going to get tonight and over the next several weeks is coaching from the Lord Jesus on how to speak to God. Um, so turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now, you remember... If, when we hear here last, we looked at Mary and Martha, and we learned the lesson that there's only one thing that's really necessary. We don't have a list of priorities and Jesus is at the top. Uh, worshiping Jesus is our priority. That's the one thing that's necessary. Everything else we do is a channel by which we do that one priority. So your marriage is the way that you worship Jesus. Your work is the way you worship Jesus. Your health is the way you worship Jesus. Everything is the way we worship Jesus. That's the one thing. Um, but you might ask, how do I pursue devotion like Mary had devotion, being devoted to Christ? And so Luke now gives us an event that happened, a teaching that Jesus gives about how to show devotion to God by teaching us the right way to pray. Now let me ask you, how many people here have ever prayed the prayer? The Our Father. Right? Everybody. Everybody's prayed the Our Father. Who has prayed it probably more than a hundred times? I've prayed it more than a thousand times because in our primary school we used to we used to pray it every single day. We prayed it every single day through high school. And I mean, we just, we prayed it thousands of times. Um, we even prayed it in church every week as I grew up as a Catholic. We prayed the Catholic version of it. But the prayer that we call the Our Father is not the prayer that we see in Luke chapter 11. This is a variant of it. Um, the, the prayer that we call the Our Father is one that was pr- taught on, on the Sermon on the Mount to a, a public group. This is a different time. This is a private teaching to his disciples, not on the, the mount, but at a certain time in private. So this is a different one. And this is very important because the two prayers aren't identical. So if you think of like how do we to pray and you say, well, let's look at the Lord's prayer. Well, the Lord taught this twice and, he, and they're not identical. So that's an important lesson that we'll see. So I'm, I want you to think of the Our Father while I'm reading the, the one in Luke 11 and see if you can spot the differences for yourself. Luke 11:1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's it. That's the prayer. It's a little different from Our Father, o art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then the rest. I started thinking of the Hail Mary as well, which is the other thing I've prayed a thousand times. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. No, 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 that's not the Our Father. But it's different, right? It kind of jars you. Where's the? Where's the rest of it? Well, This version starts with Father, not our Father. This version has no who art in heaven. There's no your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no deliver us from evil. And by the way, neither of them have for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do we learn from this? Well, the differences teach us this significant lesson. Jesus never intended this prayer to be a formula prayer. He did not teach the prayer so that we would learn by heart and pray the Our Father. And the reason we know that is because the question on teachers how to pray is asked twice, and Jesus gives two different answers. Now, they're very similar, but there are differences. The, the wording in the prayer, as it is given here and in Matthew 6, is never prayed anywhere by anyone else in the Bible. Nobody ever prays this prayer. A third reason we know Jesus didn't intend this as a formula prayer is that Matthew 6 9, Jesus doesn't say, pray this prayer. He says, pray like this, or pray in this manner. In other words, Jesus was giving us a template of prayer, an example of prayer, but not a prayer that needed to be prayed by rote over and over. Now, just a little footnote it's not wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer. Word for word. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to pray any of the prayers that you see in Scripture. You can memorize them and pray them. Um, but that was not the intention. It's not the only way to pray. It's not the purpose of this prayer. Um, just one more footnote before we get started, really, is that we call this the Lord's Prayer. Technically, the Lord never prayed this prayer because this is, has an element of confession. Forgive us our sins. Jesus never, ever prayed, forgive me my sins, because he's never sinned. Um, So sometimes people, because of that, won't call it the Lord's Prayer because the Lord never prayed it, but it's the disciples' prayer because they needed to be taught to confess this. And I think that's just kind of splitting hairs. We all know that the Lord's Prayer, because this is the prayer that He taught them, or it's the disciples' prayer because this is the one that the disciples were taught. Okay, well tonight we're going to see two insights to help you pray rightly. Two insights. If you want to get better at prayer, over the next few weeks we are going to get professional coaching on how to pray. Not from me, but from the Lord. And two insights to help you for tonight. We're going to see imitate models of prayer and improve methods of prayer. And I want to warn you, we're not even going to get to the Lord's Prayer tonight. Because there's lessons to be learned in verse 1. So imitate models of prayer. Verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples. So the conversation is sparked by a disciple asking Jesus to teach him something. It must be really cool to walk around with Jesus, and when you have a question on how to do something, you just ask him, and then he tells you. And thankfully for us, this was written down. But this is one of the ways we get more godly, is that we imitate other people who pray. So they saw Jesus praying, and they wanted to pray like Jesus. John taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray? Proverbs 27 17 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. This is one of the ways God wants to make us more like Christ, is that you find somebody who does something in the Christian life better than you and ask them to teach you. And then you copy them. That was Proverbs 27, 17. In 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, we know that Paul said, be imitators of me for, as I am of Christ. The Paul had no problem saying, you want to be more like Christ? Well, look at the parts of my life that I'm doing well being like Christ and copy those. And then have someone copy you and have someone copy them. So we all become more like Christ. So verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Obviously, John the Baptist was a model of godly spirituality. And he had disciples and he was training them up and teaching them, don't do things this way, rather do things that way. And it implies something important. It implies that John's disciples didn't know how to pray until he taught them, and Jesus' disciples didn't know how to pray. That's why they're asking teachers to pray. I mean, obviously they knew prayers. Jewish children grew up learning prayers. The the, the evening prayer, uh, the morning prayer, the the prayer at mealtime, prayers of confession, the various psalms. But they saw something in Jesus that was different from these rote prayers that all Jewish kids learn. They saw in him a vibrant prayer life. They saw in him a desire to be by himself and pray and long periods of time where he wasn't praying rote prayers or prayers in public. He was praying privately and he was praying for a long time and they were like, we want to do that. What do you say to God while you're talking to him? We, we don't always know how long Jesus prayed for, but we do have a glimpse of that because Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and he tells them to wait for him and then they fall asleep and he comes back and he rebukes the three disciples that fell asleep while he was praying? And he said, could you not even watch for me for just one hour? Like in in Jesus' mind, like this was just a short prayer time. This was just one hour and you couldn't stay awake. It's not like I was praying all night like I have before. We see that as well when he chooses his disciples. He prays throughout the whole night. So the disciples see this and they're like, This is not what we see from our rabbis. This is not what we've learned from our parents growing up. Will you teach us this? And so, what this implies is they didn't know how to pray. Now, maybe you might think that prayer is a very personal thing. Prayer is just something each person's different. God knows my heart. Maybe you think it's wrong to compare your prayers to other people's prayers. Well, this implies that there were people who thought they didn't know how to pray. And Jesus didn't answer by saying, listen, you pray just fine. Just keep praying the way you pray. God knows your heart. He didn't say that. You want to know how to pray? Yeah. Take out your pens. Pray like this. <laughs> you know? And then he tells them, good, that's a good question. I'm going to give you the answer. Not, no, no, no. You've completely misunderstood it. God just knows your heart. and He's like, pray like this. Come, write it down. Uh, our Father. And so some people know how to pray and other people don't. That's implied in this text. John the Baptist knew how to pray. Jesus knew how to pray. Their disciples didn't until they were taught. So what we learn from that is that prayer is not actually something that always comes naturally and spontaneously to all people. It's okay if you feel like, I don't want to pray in public because I don't know how to pray. That's good. As long as you don't stop there and say, therefore, I will never learn to pray. No, you you can learn how to pray. It's a skill that you can pick up. And so some people do know how to pray, and it's either because of uh, scriptural study. You can learn how to pray from the Bible, seeing how prayers in the Bible are structured and how people prayed there, Um, or they were just gifted. I mean, God gives people gifts. Some people are just really good at encouraging, and some people are good at counseling, and some people are are good at understanding scripture, Scripture, and some people are good at teaching Scripture, and some people are good at praying. It's just a giftedness. And that's why a, a body of Christ, the church, is knit together by different members so that we can all teach each other and share our strengths with each other. Not everybody has to be good at all the things. But you find somebody who's really, really good at prayer and you ask them, teach me to pray. Or you watch them or you learn from them. And so they're great prayer warriors in history. Uh, King David was a great prayer warrior. You can go and read through. David, in my Bible, I have a a metallic green pen. I don't know why. That's just the one I picked. And I underline other people's prayers as they pray. I underline that in green. So sometimes I just flip through my Bible and find like a green prayer and then read it and be like, okay. And David prays and he prays well. Um, Solomon prays a great prayer. Nehemiah is a wonderful prayer warrior. He's a fantastic person to model your praise after. Uh, The Apostle Paul, of course, is the classic. Paul's always praying, and he's writing prayers throughout all of his letters, and and he tells people what he prays about and how often he prays for them and that, so you can underline all of that. Um, Then, I mean, people that aren't even the Bible, one of the guys that I learned from is a guy called Praying Hyde. And no, his parents didn't call him praying. That's what people called him because he was known for his prayers. I'll read you an account about him later. Susanna Wesley. You know the story. Ladies love the story as well, but men should know it too. It's the, she had all those, I don't know how many Wesley kids were there. Who knows? 15? 13? 13, 13, 15. It's all the same thing at some point, right? Right, Tara? Um, so at some point, at some point you kind of lose count. But anyway, she had kids in the teens, over a dozen of them. And, um, and you can imagine in a household like that, there's just, is no little quiet, there's no prayer closet. You open a closet and there's two kids in there. I mean, it's just like, so she taught them that when she's sitting down with her apron, you know, they should wear her apron. When her apron is flipped over her head, that meant don't talk to mom. And that was her prayer closet, was her apron. Don't, talk, don't bug mom when she's in her prayer closet. And just in the middle of the chaos, she just flips it. I mean, if Jonah can pray in a whale, you can pray in an apron. I mean, she's just in the middle of the chaos, just puts her apron on. That's her alone time. But she's, she's a great prayer warrior. George Mueller is a person, George Mueller famously said he was not gifted in his faith. You know, he's the one that would, um, he would have the orphanage, and there was no, there was no um, food for them that morning, and so he prayed, and then the milk truck broke down outside, and then the, the baker said, I just baked all night, I don't even know why, here's the food. You know that guy? And everyone said, well, he, he's just a man of great faith. He said, no, I have very average faith. My giftedness is in prayer. He didn't believe that he had extraordinary faith in God. He just realized that he more quickly exercised the reflex of when there's a need, I must pray about it. And that's so interesting to me because in my own life, and maybe some of you are the same, prayer isn't the first thing that I do when there's a problem. The first thing I do is try to think of a solution. And then sometimes the second thing I do is ask someone else to help me think of a solution. And only when no one can think of a solution do I think I need to pray about this. Well, Mueller was the other way around. He was like, problem, pray. Okay, now, let's wait for God to answer. So you read about these people and you learn from them. And of course, Jesus. Jesus here was a prayer warrior that we see. And whenever I read about Jesus praying, I can't help but be struck by the fact that Jesus is praying. Who's he praying to? To God? Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. What is going on there? And it's one of the great mysteries of the Trinity that's just... it's. Trinitarianism on display. Yes, Jesus claimed over and over to be God, but he called himself the Son of God. And he loved praying to his Father. And so Jesus prayed. So we have a little substructure that's going to unfold as we go here. The first uh, one is that prayer is incarnational. So as we imitate models of prayer, as we're imitating Christ, one of the lessons we learn from Christ is prayer is incarnational. And what I mean by that is that Jesus prayed for a very simple reason. He was human. And human beings pray. And he was incarnate. He, he was God in human flesh. And a person in human flesh is needy, not designed to function in this world without help from God, not designed to function in this world without communication with God. We are designed to communicate with God. And Jesus was one of us. And so he had to communicate with God. Some people say Jesus didn't really need to pray because he was God. You know, he knows all things and he can provide for himself because he's God. And that he only prayed as an example to teach other humans to pray. But I don't buy that. Think about it. If Jesus is only praying to be an example, then how come we don't have all of his prayers being recorded? We, don't have, we barely have any. I mean, we have John 17. We have the That's one whole chapter, the high priestly prayer. We have the prayer in Gethsemane, but he's praying all the time. No, he's not praying for us to learn how to pray. He's praying because he prays. Because he's a person. Also, he doesn't pray aloud always. Sometimes he did, but he didn't always pray aloud or in front of them. He went off on his own to pray. Away from them. So that's not a great example. Everyone, watch how to pray. And then he just walks away where you can't hear him pray or see what he's doing. It's like, no, no. Luke 5.16 told us that he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was his habit. He loved to go off by himself in a desolate place, a place with no people, and pray. So he wasn't doing that to be an example. He was doing that because he wanted to pray. And no one heard these prayers but but God the Father. And he did it because he was fully human. So dogs bark, birds fly, and people pray. And we recognize that if you have a bird that can't fly, like an ostrich, it's still a bird, but it, we feel kind of sorry for ostriches because they miss out on being the, you know, the best part of being a bird. I mean, Being a bird is not a great animal, except that it can fly. And if you're the bird that can't fly, that's kind of sad for you, right? It's the same for humans. Not all humans pray, but really they're missing out on the best part about being human. The best part about being human is that you can communicate with God, with your creator. There's a fascinating study I'm busy doing at the moment, actually, about how animals communicate directly with God. Very, very fascinating. So for a human to be able to communicate with God better than any animal and then not do it, it's just sad. You're just missing out. So prayer is incarnational. It's a part of being human. Secondly, prayer is indispensable. Prayer is indispensable. In other words, Jesus needed prayer like he needed his other human needs met, like food and water and sleep. Um, we see in Luke 6, verse 12, it said in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. You know what happened in Luke 6, 12 and following? He went to pray all night because he had a particularly big decision to make the next day. He had to recruit 12 apostles. You think that's so strange. I mean, what does it look like? Probably one of the biggest decisions I had to make is like what college I'm going to go to, Right? I didn't pray all night. (laughs) Did any of you pray the whole night to ask God which college to go to? I remember learning this lesson in seminary around about the time um, of deciding who to marry, and I learned to do that. Let me tell you, praying through the night, not easy. But Jesus, he chose to do this, and he did it so that he could have this big decision. He could have God's presence and, and, and wisdom when he made this big decision. No one heard that prayer, but he did it because it was a huge decision, and he's, he was dependent on his Father, and he's showing that dependence for wisdom, for guidance, for decisions in life. So we see Jesus praying when he eats. We see when he gets good news, he prays. When he makes decisions, he prays. When he has a need, he prays. When he has something difficult about to happen, like in Gethsemane, he prays. And we've see, we see him pray short prayers. We see him pray a chapter-long prayer. And here we're told he prayed the whole night. So he prioritized prayer at times over his own healing ministry. And so his life was marked by prayer. It is indispensable. If it was indispensable for Jesus, it's certainly indispensable for us, right? Thirdly, we see that prayer is inspirational. To see a person of prayer is to want to be a person of prayer. That's one thing we learn from this verse, is that Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to be like you. There is something inspirational about being around great prayer warriors. If you've ever known somebody who is a great prayer warrior, you know what that's like. You just want to, you just want to get them to pray for you, and you want to learn from them, and you want to be, and you want to pray like that too. Um, I told you I'd, I'll tell you about praying Hyde. It's one of those guys. So here's an account from a little biography about him. Dr. Wilbur Chapman recorded this account. At one of our missions, the audience was extremely small. Um, results seemed impossible. But then I received a note saying that an American missionary was coming to town to pray for God's blessing upon our work. I believe this was in India. He was called Praying Hide. And after he prayed, almost instantaneously, the tide turned. The hall became packed. At my first gospel message, 50 men we one for Jesus. And as we were leaving, I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. So pr- praying Hyde, and his biography is about this guy, this man with his extraordinary prayer life and his extraordinary results. And so here's this thing. You're in India. You're an evangelist. Um, you you want to see people saved. Nobody comes. But then you hear... The American's coming. Praying Hyde is coming. You're like, oh, this is going to be good. Not because he's American, but because he's praying Hyde. And he comes in and he prays. And as soon as he prays, the room fills up. People just come. Duk, 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 duk. We prayed for people and they start showing up. And 50 people got saved in that one time. And so you can imagine after that in that elation, and you're the speaker, you're the, you're the guy that presents the gospel, 50 people get saved because praying Hyde prayed. Afterwards, you're like, you pray for me? What would you ask him to pray for? Like, the lottery? I mean, like, what, what can you do with your prayer? Well, you, you don't tell people like that what to pray for. You just say, well, you pray for me. And then he records what happened. Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. He came to my room. He turned the key in the door. He dropped on his knees. And he waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping then with upturned face down which tears were streaming he said oh God and then for five minutes at least he was still again and when he knew he was talking with God his arm went around my shoulder And there came up from the depths of his heart such petitions for men as I have never heard before. And I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. That's the testimony of Dr. Wilbur Chapman, a famous evangelist. Prayer can be caught. It can be taught, as we are seeing, but it can also be caught. As in, you can be inspired to pray when you're around people who pray. People said Charles Spurgeon was like that. People loved to hear Spurgeon pray. People would come and listen to him pray in, in in church, but also in his home. If you came to visit him, he would pray, and people would write about it for decades after. It was the prayers of Spurgeon. I had a uh, professor, the late great Doctor Roscup, Doctor Jim Roskup, who was our prayer professor at the seminary. Kim worked as a secretary for him for a while, and this this was I mean, he was just known as the prayer warrior, and. All the seminary professors were prayer warriors. So you must know if they say he's the prayer warrior, uh, everyone wants to pray like the professors and they want to pray like Jim Roskup. And uh, he, was, he was just such a lovely man and such a, a one. He was my supervisor for my thesis. So I got to spend time with him that others didn't. And he was such an interesting guy because he, he was an old man, you know. And, and um, you ask him to pray for something and he says, whoa, 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 and he pulls out of his pocket a, a post it note. And he would write the prayer down on a post-it note and he would like stick it in his jacket or in his book or whatever. And he had this whole board at home full of post-it notes with columns. And he would move your post-it note from um, where he was praying for it and how often he was praying for it until it was an answered prayer. And then you would come and you'd say, Dr. Oscar, the thing we prayed about, I, I got an answered prayer. And he would ask about it. And he would be like, that's wonderful. And he would make a note to cross it off his list. And I mean, he was just like always functioning. And he, he ha- taught a class In seminary, prayer class, that was mandatory. Everybody in seminary had to take the class. And it was a 15-week class. And in it, you had to pray. He taught us how to pray. And you had to document your prayers in a certain way. He was very particular, extremely particular about where commas go and stuff like that. It was very annoying. Um, But he would insist that the prayers that you decided to pray for at the beginning of the semester were answered by the end of the semester, or you lost a letter grade. And people were so upset about that. They were like, I'm not in charge of, of answering the prayers. God is. It's not my fault if they're not answered. And he was like, if God's not answering your prayers, you're not praying rightly, and then I've taught you nothing. I mean, that was his mindset. His mindset was like... If you're praying right, your prayers will be answered. That's in 15 weeks, you can do it. And so I was like, man, I'm going to take this out for a spin. And um, so one of the assignments was you had to pray for a whole hour every day. And he taught us how to do that, how to build that hour out of 12 segments and stuff. But you had to pray continually an hour every day. And there were a lot of people in the class that were like upset about this it's so rigid and formal and it's legalistic and it's not how I pray because he wouldn't let you break it up into like, you know, 10 minute segments. You had to pray in one hour and had to be in a a quiet room and he had all these rules and people like, that's not what prayer is. And And those people, they just missed out. They just missed out. And And there were some of us were like, this is hard, but we're going to do it, and we're going to do it exactly how it is, and we better pray for stuff that gets answered. I mean, people were praying for healings of cancer, and people were praying for um, uh, ministries that they're involved in, and, and it was just amazing, like, week by week to get these reports of answered prayers. So, you know what one of the things that I prayed for? I prayed for a wife, and that was the semester that I met Kim. I kid you not. That was the semester. Remember, that first night that we connected and we were talking and it was late at night and we like spoke until one or two in the morning at this big youth camp that we were all at and everyone went to bed and I, I was like, I got to do my hour of prayer or I lose my grade, and after all of that, but I tell you what I prayed for for that hour, this girl I just met, <laughs> and it worked. I got an A for that class by the way, um, <laughs> thanks to the Lord. But my point simply here is that prayer is inspirational and we should share stories with one another about God's answered prayers because that inspires prayer in other people and that's what gives God glory when we pray more. So, imitate models of prayer. Secondly, we see here to improve methods of prayer. If you look at verse 1 again, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. So notice again that when the disciples ask for help, Jesus responds by saying to them, verse 2, And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then the Lord's prayer starts. So I just want to draw your attention one more time to the fact that there is a method to prayer that can be taught. Because they asked Jesus to teach them, and he doesn't say, I can't teach you this. This is something that you just have to do naturally. He says, let me teach you a method. It's not the only method, but it's a great one, this template that he gives them. And so he grants their premise that their prayers need improvement. Jesus wasn't into the self-esteem movement. He wasn't like, oh, well, you're doing a good effort, you just keep it up. No, 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 you want to learn to pray? I'll teach you to pray, you need to learn to pray. And so it might be revolutionary for you to realize this, but what this text implies is that there is a wrong way to pray and there is a right way to pray. And more than that, there are good ways to pray and there are better ways to pray think of that, um, the story of Frank Abernathy. Was it Abagnale? Always get those mixed up. Frank Abernathy that's it. He was the, the con man. Uh, they made a movie about him, that Steven Spielberg movie, Catch Me If You Can, but I've read a lot of stuff by him and about him, and he had this fascinating life, and at this one point, um, he could fake anything. He could just, he could pretend to be an airline pilot and fly planes. Um, he could pretend to be a surgeon and run surgeries. He pretended to be a lawyer. He actually practiced law Uh, He he taught French. He did all these things that he had never trained for. And he tells about this one time that he got stuck in a situation where somebody asked him to pray. And he had never heard somebody pray. And he was like, this is one thing I just don't know how to fake. I don't even know what a prayer sounds like. And so he started telling a story about two mice in a bucket. And there was milk and they just kept. And one gave up and drowned and one um, stirred its way and turned it into cream and hopped out of the bucket. Amen. Amen. I mean, he had no clue what a prayer was. That's what he did. And I always just think of, okay, so that's a a wrong way to pray, (laughs) in case you're wondering. That's not a prayer. So there are ways that people think, I'm just expressing myself to God, and God's thinking, yeah, that's not a prayer. I don't know what that is. Um, So you have to realize that if you pray wrongly, at best you're wasting your time. And prayer's not going to be answered. At worst, you're actually sinning when you pray wrongly. Let me prove that to you. Um, Psalm 80, verse 4. Psalm 80, verse 4. Oh, Yahweh, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Interesting question. Psalm 80, verse 4. Yahweh, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? I never want God to be angry with my prayers. Right? I've heard of people say that they are angry with God when they pray, telling Him how angry they are at Him for whatever. I recently heard somebody confess that they cussed at God in a prayer. People that express doubt in prayers, you know, like, God, if you're out there, then blah, blah, blah. You know, or God, if you're as good as people say you are, then I have this request. That's a wrong way to pray. Hebrews tells us that if you want something from God, you have to at least believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Um, I've heard people with my own ears address in their prayers, they address Satan. Have you ever heard that? You know, you're praying to Jesus and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and we feel you today and Satan, we know you're here too and we're going to bind you in the name of Jesus and Satan, you have no power over us. And it's like, why are you praying to Satan? What are we doing here? Who prays to Satan? Not Christians. Christians pray to Christ. We don't pray to Satan. So there are, there are ways of praying that are sinful and that are wrong. So here are six prayers that God rejects. Make sure you never pray these prayers because you're just wasting your time or worse. Firstly, disobedient. When you are in sin, he rejects a disobedient person's prayers. Uh, Proverbs 15 verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to Yahweh but the prayer of the upright is acceptable that's Proverbs fifteen eight. the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination but the prayer of the upright is acceptable Proverbs 28 verse 9 if one turns away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer is an abomination So Proverbs 28 verse 9 says that if you aren't obeying God you're not listening to the Bible and what he says in his law then your prayer is actually an abomination Secondly, the hypocritical prayer. You know, when you're praying but you're praying for show. You're praying for the people in the room rather than for God. Matthew 6 verse 5, Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocritical prayer like? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Don't be like that. Don't be somebody who prays so that other people can see you pray. Now, you're like, wait a minute, I've seen you pray. Well, yeah, I pray the pastoral prayer in church, but I don't if my motive is, oh, I can't wait to get up there and pray so that everyone sees me up there, then that's a hypocritical prayer. And that's that's useless, then, right? And people do that in, in small groups and people do that in all sorts of situations. Well, I'm gonna show off that I'm a pray warrior. And that's hypocritical. You get manipulative prayers. This is when you pray superstitiously manipulative prayer um, Matthew 6 verse 7 you try to manipulate God into answering by using certain language when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words you, know, you get people like this who think if I flower up my language not only am I impressing other people which is hypocritical but I, God will have to answer me you know Oh Lord who art ensconced among the cherubim above in all of thy magnificent holiness. Bestow thy bounty upon this poor wretched worm. Is everyone watching me? Is everyone listening to my Elizabethan English prayer? It's like, no, you're missing the point. God speaks normal English. And and you don't have to impress people. You don't manipulate God by piling on these words. Now, another way of manipulating God by praying superstitiously is to say, well, I'm just going to say the same prayer over and over and over. And the more that I say the prayer, the more effective it will be, the more God will have to answer me. So Muslims do this. Muslims pray formula prayers, phrases over and over. Catholics do this. They repeat rote prayers. I was told on a number of occasions, pray the Hail Mary 10 times over. Pray the Glory Be twice and the Our Father once. And if you do that formula in a certain way, you'll be forgiven of your sins. And so that's, have you ever seen a rosary? rosary beads it's like a, it's like a little chain that has ten beads and then one and then ten and then one and then ten there's like a hundred of those and then there's like a little thing that hangs with a cross well those, those beads are so you can keep track of all the prayers that you're repeating and so you get good at it because you know you're not allowed to watch TV until you say confession I got back from the priest did you, did you confess your sins yes mom what did he give you well he gave me ten Hail Marys to say have you said them no Okay, well you can't watch TV until you do your penance, okay? How many full grace of the Lord is with the E Besseratman woman listening to the British of Jesus? Oh, how does go how Mary Anyway, I used to know it. I used to just be able to crank them out. Ten, boom, and you need the rosary because you've got to keep track. Well, that's manipulative. God specifically says don't do that. Do not heap up empty phrases. Also, by the way, don't pray to Mary. Um, but don't heap up empty phrases. Um, insincere prayers. That's another one he doesn't answer. This, an insincere prayer is a prayer that you don't actually mean. Your, your mind is not engaged in it at all. You're saying it, but, or you're listening to someone's prayer, and you say amen afterwards, but if I asked you what they prayed about, you wouldn't know. Well, that doesn't count then. You didn't pray. <laughs> um, Mark 7, 6. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. So there is a way to honor God with your lips while your heart is far from him. And he's saying that kind of worship? Well, in, that's vain worship. You might as well not even do that. That's Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Here's another one. Selfish prayers. This is, when, this is the most common prayer even godly Christians pray because they just don't realize it. But when you approach God to pray for something and you, you frame your entire prayer based on what God needs to do in the universe because of what you want, that's not a good prayer. God doesn't run the universe for you and what you want. You need, to, you need to understand, orient yourself so that you're praying according to God's will for what he has revealed he wants, for his glory. So in James 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's James 4, 3. So you're asking... And you're, not, you, you're getting a no answer from God. Why? Because you're asking wrongly. You're, it's a wrong prayer. And what is the prayer? Well, you, you ask wrongly to spend it, meaning t- t- the grace of God that you're asking for, on your passions, your lusts, your desires. So sometimes people say, well, you know, is it wrong for me to pray for a parking spot? Can't find a parking spot anyway. Can I pray for a parking spot? Well, I usually answer it this way. It's like, if the parking spot is the only thing that you're praying about that day, then yes, go go get a real prayer life, you know? If, you, if, your, park, if your prayer life is healthy and robust and you have a need, an urgent need in the middle of that and it's something as simple as a, a parking lot, of course you're going to share it with God because you share everything with God and you ask him for everything and you praise him for everything and that's totally okay. Um, but uh, another way of saying that is, what's your motive behind wanting the parking spot? Think about what it would take to get you the parking spot near the entrance so you don't have to run in the rain to get to the movies or whatever. It means some old lady with a walker is going to have to be in the rain longer. (laughs) Right? Or something. Someone else is going to have to be in the rain. So what you're saying is, please God, orient this world so that I get the most comfort and blessing out of this moment rather than anyone else around here. I don't know. I don't know, that's that just, that's a selfish prayer, right? You never want to pray, I want to, I want more money because I want to trust you less, is what you're praying. I want more money so that I can look at my bank account and feel safe. Or I want a good kid so that my life is easier. Is that the reason you want a good kid? Is that a good reason? Or I want a wife so that she can meet my needs. You know, as soon as you're orienting your prayers around you and your desires, then you're kind of missing the point of having access to the creator of the universe. And then finally, is it finally? Yes, finally. Um, a prayer that's not answered is husbands' prayers. Not all husbands, of course, God answers some husbands' prayers, but husbands who are not honoring their wives. So you think about all, you think about disobedient people, hypocritical people, manipulative people, insincere, selfish, and a godly husband who has stopped listen to, listening to his wife and honoring his wife. You've just turned off the. You just turn off the volume on your prayers. Um, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you for the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. One of the main reasons you need to show honor to your wife is so that God will listen to you when you talk to him later that day. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like, you run to God with this request, and he turns you around and says, First, go take care of Christianity 101. Who is the neighbor closest to you in life? I told you to love your neighbors. There's one in the bed next to you. Make sure you make her breakfast, or whatever. You know, Honor her. Then come and ask me for what you want. Husbands who stop listening to their wives, badmouth their wives to the guys at the office, who are disrespectful in their tone and their attitude towards their wives, they are hindering their own prayers. It's like talking on the cell phone when you're going through a tunnel. Like you're talking, but the signal's cut out. So those are the wrong prayers, but there's still hope. There's hope. Um, if there's one thing you learn from the first verse of chapter 11, you hear that you can ask for help and learn how to get better at prayer. And so you can get instruction that's what they ask for teach us to pray so uh, the way the way i think of it is this prayer is is something that's quite natural that each person does differently but it can also be coached just like running you know most people can run and everyone's runs a little bit different but you can you can get the job done right but if you want to run with the big boys (laughs) you want to run in the olympics you need professional coach coaching where they, they're going to tweak every little part of your stride and the type of shoe and what you have to do and how you launch and all that kind of stuff. So in the same way, prayer is pretty natural. Everyone can get the job done. You know, if you've never heard anyone else pray and you've never learned anything about prayer and you've never read a single prayer in the Bible, you can just cry out to God and He's going to listen to you. He, he's, going to, he's, going to, he's going to hear you. So don't, so don't worry. But that's just like telling somebody, everybody can run. If you want to get good at it, you need instruction. You need to learn. You can read books about prayer. You can, well, I'm going to give you eight, eight ways in a moment. Um, let me just give those to you. Eight practical tips to get you started. <laughs> um, just briefly. Number one, pray with others in your home group. You know, when we have home group and the guy leading says, right, these are the prayer requests. Who wants to pray? And no one puts up their hand. What's up with that? you're a Christian, pray. Now, if you're not a Christian and you've been invited, don't pray. But if you are a Christian, pray. You don't have to pray long. You don't have to pray in Elizabethan English. Now you're going to be nervous to pray because I just told you there's wrong ways to pray. But don't worry, we're all going to get better together. One of the ways you get better is you hear other people pray and you think, I need to pray more like that this person said that thing that's really interesting i like the way they started their prayer with this i like the way they ended their prayer with that okay i'm going to learn how to do that i'm going to watch them i'm going to i'm going to do that so and if you're like i don't want anyone copying my prayers i'm bad at praying good just pray um because then people can be like okay so i'm not going to pray like that person Uh, they they're still learning but the thing is it's like uh, you can learn guitar at home in your bedroom that's fine but the best way to learn guitar anyone who ever played guitar will tell you is to play in a, in a band, yeah. When you're most vulnerable, when your mistakes are heard by everybody, there's just something about being in the band and forcing yourself to be confident enough to get that done. You get way better at guitar if you play in a band. Everybody knows that, right? So it's the same thing with prayer. You will get better at prayer when you're focused and you're thinking about what you're saying. My main, my main hint for you, if you're going to be new at praying in home group, just keep it short. You, no matter how bad it is, it's not bad if it's short. What's bad is when people pray bad for long. Even when people pray good for long, that can be a bit of a stretch, right? You know, just keep it short. Just a few. Like uh, we used to do something in our old church called popcorn prayer. Sometimes where we just like you just you just say one line, you know, God, please help our nation. We need your help. Someone else is, um, Lord, please bless so and so who's doing this thing. With... Lord, please give these people wisdom as they are making a choice. Just like little popcorn prayers. So feel feel free to do that. Okay, that's one. Pray with others. Secondly, underline the prayers in your Bible. I already mentioned that, but if you, as you're reading your Bible, if you're underlining those prayers in a particular color, then you spot them easier. And then incorporate those prayers into your own prayer life. Like What I mean by that is you, you literally mimic phrases that Paul is using when he says, blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, well, I, never, I never say that in my prayers. Okay, I'm going to try So I have the prayer open, and I read it, and I say, um, Dear God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May peace and grace be multiplied to the people I'm about to pray for. Sounds kind of weird, but hey, that's how Paul did it. And guess what? God answers Paul's prayers. (laughs) So he's doing something right. And the more you do that, the more natural that becomes. Um, Number three, practical tip, buy and read D.A. Carson's book, Spiritual Reformation. D.A. Carson has a book, we sell it in the bookstore, called Spiritual Reformation. And all he does is he goes through Paul's prayers. And he lists Paul's prayer and he explains it and then he applies it and shows you how you can pray it. It's the best book on prayer I've ever read. D.A. Carson, Spiritual Reformation. Uh, number four, pray until you pray. I can't take credit for that. That's a phrase that the Puritans always used to say. If you're not sure how to pray and you want to learn, pray until you pray. And what that means is, When you're on your own, don't practice this in front of a crowd. Practice this on your own. Pray until you feel that you're really praying. Pray long prayers, long, windy prayers. Just keep at it. Don't do that at home group. Do that on your own. Home group, practice your short prayers and listen to other people. But when you're on your own, pray until you actually feel it. And so sometimes, you know what it's like. I mean, when I pray sometimes, I'll start praying, and then my mind wanders, and then I'm like... Okay, I need to start praying aloud because when I pray in my mind, my mind just wanders and I'm like, what was I praying about again? Um, and so then I pray loud, but not loud, but, you know, under my breath, but I can hear myself. And um, and as I'm praying, I don't know where this prayer's going, but that's okay. You know, I mean, what? it's not like God's got anything better to do. Um, <laughs> you know, he's listening to me. So I'm talking to him and, and eventually it'll find its groove. And you're like, you know what? This, is, this thing I'm praying about now is the thing that I'm, worked up about. And so I pray more and more about that. And then after a while, you're like, man, that was a great prayer. Not the first 10 minutes of the long winding road to get there, but those last four minutes were intense. And and that was great. So just pray until you pray. Um, Where were we? Number four, number five. Break the rut of your prayers. And by that, I just mean if you pray in a certain way each time, just try something different. Maybe use different names for God. Like if you have a prayer journal or something, just jot down. Let's say um, I mean, I usually start my prayers, Dear Heavenly Father. You've probably heard me say that from the pulpit. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll say, Dear God, or My God in Heaven, or Abba, Father, or Yahweh, or, you know, just jot down a couple of different ways that people in Scripture address God and just, just do it differently. You don't have to do that in a home group. You can do that in your own prayer time, right? And, and break the rut. Um, number six, pray with your family. Or with friends or with coworkers, or anyone that you can get a little group together with number seven start with short prayers I already mentioned that and then work on adding something each week so that's what we were taught in our hour-long prayer class is um, and I'll do a little workshop on this one day maybe on a Wednesday um, of the kind of 12 segments but if you, if you it's hard to think I'm gonna pray for an hour but if you think I'm gonna pray for five minutes thanking God for things those five minutes will go quick and then I'm gonna spend five minutes confessing sins of mine you're going to want that to go real quick. And then I'm going to spend five minutes um, asking God for things for other people. And that's going to go quick. And then I'm going to spend five minutes asking God for things for me. And then that goes quick. You know, and so you, you, I'm going to spend five minutes singing to the Lord. I'm going to f- spend five minutes composing a poem to the Lord, whatever it is. And by the end of the hour, you're like, man, that, I didn't even get through everything I wanted. Good thing there's tomorrow, right? And then uh, seven, start with short prayers. Oh, I said that one. Number eight, final one, Take a quiet Place to pray daily. It's helpful if you have the same place that when you go there, you know this is your little prayer nook. Um, it's just a helpful practical tip. If you want to learn to pray better, pick a little spot. You can pray throughout the day whenever you are. Pray in your car. Pray when you go for a walk. Pray whatever. But if there's a specific spot where you like, when I pray something serious that I really want to focus on, this is the spot that I go to, whatever it is. And so there you go. If you're really serious about getting you can sign up for our um, professional coaching which happens every Wednesday night starting next week so come back next week let's pray dear God our dear father what a blessing it is to learn how to pray and to be inspired to pray by your son who prayed to you and we look forward to the weeks ahead as we go through this wonderful prayer line by line and and learn lessons about you that we can incorporate into our own lives that we can become better prayers so we can give you more glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I kinda used up all of our Q&A time. But are there any burning questions? Yes, burning question number one. What is your take on children's story Ooh. Didn't see that one coming. Um, okay. Uh what? Say the first part again. Uh, When it comes to the second commandment about graven images. Okay. Uh, And then you want to apply that to children's story Bibles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm also expanding in my mind to what about movies like The Passion of the Christ and TV shows like The Chosen. I mean, story Bibles, it's like... There's bigger fish to fry than that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Even story Bibles that have pictures of Jesus. I mean, if your kids start picturing Jesus with like a big nose and curly red hair, then that's a problem because um, it's in the cartoon. But, okay. Let me first say that, the, that different godly men over the ages have had different views on this. And so there's kind of a spectrum of the way to answer that. And then I'll tell you where I fall on this. One um, way of tackling the second commandment, do not make graven images is to steer clear of um, making any kind of visual depiction of god or jesus okay that's one the other extreme would be saying as long as you're not making an actual idol and bowing down and worshiping it then you're obeying that command because that's the point the point was don't actually make a graven idol and worship it on some of the extremes Christians don't even allow statues of anything, because if you read the commandment carefully in, uh, what's it, Deuteronomy 20, it talks about, sorry, Exodus 20, what I'm saying, Exodus chapter 20, it talks about how um, you can't make an image of any four-footed creature, any winged creature, any creature whatsoever, you know? And so that's why, have you ever heard of the phrase um, iconoclastic? You heard that iconoclastic? That comes from the iconoclasts in history who were Christians who would destroy any art, any depiction of anything, include any. St- so these crusaders would come in and see statues of anything and just destroy them because of the second commandment. So that's the extreme version. Um, I think the point of that passage was that God was saying, I'm going to reveal to you who I am, and I want you to resist the temptation that everybody else does with their gods to depict me in something that is undepictable. M-m-m-m- who I am and my attributes cannot be reduced to anything physical or any picture. Um, and so don't even try. And the, they immediately disobey that with the, the golden cough. And they say, this is Yahweh who brought you out. And it's a little golden figurine. And he's like, no, I'm going to make you eat that. And he does. Um, okay, so that's the point of, of that commandments. But God does reveal himself in visible ways in certain places, in rare places in Scripture. One of them is the burning bush. So in my thinking, if you draw a picture of a burning bush in a children's Bible, that's acceptable because you're not making a graven image to worship God. You're depicting an event of God revealing himself. And so I would also apply that to um, the main way God revealed himself in a visible way was through Jesus Christ. And so he, it wasn't idolatrous for people to worship Jesus because he was God and he was a physical, he was the physical incarnated manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. Um, And therefore, if you are drawing a picture, and now now I'm stepping away from the pulpit, this is just my opinion. My opinion is if you're drawing a picture that depicts that self-revelation, you're not worshiping it, but you're using it as as part of the narrative story, I would say that that's not a violation of the second commandment because I'm not making an idol to worship. I would not personally wear a crucifix and we would not have Jesus, a crucifix is a cross with Jesus on it. I wear a cross around my neck, but I would not wear a cross with Jesus on it like I used to when I was a Catholic because now you've made a graven image of something that you're attaching religious significance to and using in your worship directing your worship towards it Um, and so I I wouldn't do that so I think each person may have to just make that decision for themselves like if you have I I prefer children's Bibles where the the pictures even of Jesus are very cartoonish so the kid realizes that's not what Jesus looked like because no people have big ears like that and big noses and giant toes you know whatever Um, I would be nervous about letting a kid watch a movie where there's an actor playing jesus if they're too young and they can't quite understand that because i don't want to engrave that person's face in their mind as the person they worship when they worship jesus are there any follow-up questions to that i know that's a little bit more controversial okay any other questions yeah Okay, and if you're a mom of a baby in nursery, you can go and get that baby, and they'll they'll kiss you and call you blessed. Yeah, that's a really good question so she's talking about um, people from let's say a Pentecostal background who believe in the gift of tongues um, and they pray in tongues and they can pray for an hour Um, and how does the Lord perceive that that's kind of what you are asking well let me first say the gift of tongues um, is described for us in the in Acts chapter 2 it's the only place it's described and the gift of tongues in Scripture was the coming of the Holy Spirit that gave people a supernatural power to speak a foreign language that they had not learned before. And the apostles could speak languages that people could understand. So that is the gift of tongues. Um, but the modern Pentecostal movement has, they say, we're not talking about that gift of tongues. We're talking about a new gift of tongues that was not in the New Testament. Although some of them would say that 1 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, yeah, 12, 13, and 14 talk about it. Don't get me started. But um, they would say the new gift of tongues is a private prayer language that you have that not even you can understand. And if you've ever heard people speaking in tongues, it's just like, you know, you know, it's just, it's just babbling. And you say, what does that mean? They're like, I have no idea, but it's a tongue of angels and only the Lord knows. Um, well, Paul rebukes that, that action. Other people also try to pretend they were speaking in other languages. And Paul rebukes that in chapters uh, 11, 12, and 13. Sorry, 12, 13, and 14 of First Corinthians. So your question is, what about somebody who says, hey, I prayed for you for an hour in tongues? Firstly, I'd say, how do you know that you prayed for me? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. That's facetious. But they don't know what they're praying for but your question was actually how does the lord perceive that so this is what i teach people if somebody's like new to our church and they're like i believe in the gift of tongues i know you think it's ceased but i think it's still going i would say to them this is not a hill to die on this is you can still be a member of our church this is not what we teach but you can join our church and think you speak in tongues what i would encourage you as a person who believes in the gift of tongues is that as much time as you spend speaking in tongues you also spend speaking in english like you pray in english for a couple of reasons because when you're praying in a language you understand, then you know what you're praying so you can see God answer those prayers. And that's the real connection that you have with the Lord. In my mind, everything that you do in a language you don't understand is just a waste of time. And some people say, yeah, but it makes me feel so good. I'm like, okay, well, sure, I mean, I I do push-ups. They make me feel good too, so that's not sinful, so you do that. Um, But it's it's not actually affecting your spiritual life in any way. Now what happens to people is, if they have been taught that that type of prayer, that language thing, is more spiritual than praying in English, which a lot of churches do teach, they stop praying, and they only pray in tongues. And those people become spiritually stunted, and and you can just tell their spiritual lives are stunted. They're not filling their mind with scripture, they're not praying scripture, they're not listening to prayers by other people, either. They're not growing in their prayer life, and they're not seeing any prayers onset. But they feel better that they've done this ecstatic motion. And I just think that that's sad.